Good morning, Epsi Free. Please stand with me as we read and hear the words of our Lord and Teacher. I'm reading from John 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, today we are finishing our series called The Table, practicing the hospitality, or practicing the way of Jesus through hospitality. And um, I don't know if you remember last week in our series, we approached, uh, we, as we approached the passage last week, uh, the table is set powerfully by Jesus through the calling of Simon James, John, and Levi. In their calling from Jesus, they came soul to soul with Jesus. We would often say face to face, but that's not the case at all. I mean, their souls were, were, were torn by his power and his presence, and, they, and it was unmistakable. And they bowed to Jesus, who moved on them and moved through them and bent them to humility, uh, counted, counted among the disciples that were not written about, but also we also see them in powerful ways because we, we look to them. We see them in glass, stained glass windows around the world that remind us of the beauty of Jesus' hospitality for all people, whether it's lowly fishermen or corrupt tax collectors. Paul who we 
may not remember, his name was Saul, tells us in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And that's exactly what happened last week. Levi, <laughs> Levi James, and John, uh, James, yeah, they all came and were bowed to the power and presence of Jesus. It's first to the Jew and the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul can write this because, as I said, his name was Saul. He walked literally into the power of God that brings salvation in the hunt to persecute Jesus' followers. Ever set a table for your enemy? Jesus has continually. Jesus was not unfamiliar with that kind of a seating chart. We may not invite and may not be so inclined to send an invite to somebody who is really persecuting us. But Jesus does all the time. And Saul was transformed by that powerful, holy welcome of God. This is what we do know in our world. Power can take many forms, right? I mean, it can take many forms. While Jesus blinded Saul, who became Paul, to give him a few days to think in his, about his ways and consider the ways of Jesus, specifically the kingdom's way, power can also be seen in the most humble and vulnerable moments in life, can it? I mean, true power can be seen in those moments. We might even classify it in some ways as humiliation. Those places and spaces where people live in humility and in vulnerability. We know Jesus as Messiah, Prince of Peace, King of Jews, Lord of Lords. Yet what we will see in our passage today is that Jesus is both, he is host and servant. We might find it both uncomfortable and I think definitely unnerving. As John 13 was read for us by Ty, thank you for doing that, it says this, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go go to his father. Having loved his own who were not in the world, or having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now Passover, it's kind of an interesting combination and many times we walk through this, it's that celebration of liberation of the liberation of the Hebrew people from their Egyptian captors. Yet here they are once again meeting with Jesus in, the, in a room. The disciples are sitting at a table with a meal around them in captivity by their Roman oppressors on their own promised land. Right? They, they were promised this land, but then it has been taken over and run by others. We know and have read that Jesus knows he's leaving town. Not only that, but he's leaving this world. And it tells us he loves those, he's, he loves those uh, that he has been given. John records it all here that he loved them to the very end. Can you imagine writing this after all that you had seen and done? This was not writing, written at the time, but it was written afterwards. And John 
tells us Jesus knew his time. He knew his time. Why did Jesus know his timing? Why was it made known to him? Let me ask this question. Can you know your timing? If Jesus can know his timing, can you know yours? When things and what things are going to happen? Something to ponder upon, think about, lean into, and pray about. In fact, I think one of the ways that he knew his timing was because he was in constant conversation, prayer, with his heavenly father. It goes on in verse 2. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What I want you to notice is that the meal had already been started. And Judas is, again, uh, we see and read and recognize Judas is sitting with them at the meal. Now, we've come to understand through scholars that, uh, that the host of the meal is not the one to wash the feet of those he's invited. C.G. Krause says a wife might wash their, her husband's feet Children might wash their father's feet. Disciples might wash their master's feet. But in every case, it would be an act of extreme devotion. Foot washing was normally carried out by a servant, not by those participating in the meal. And certainly not by those presiding over the meal. It's an intimate act. Jesus, having power given to him by his heavenly father, chooses to be servant and host he takes off his outer garment wraps a towel around his waist and washed his disciples dusty dirty feet not at the beginning of the meal in the middle of the meal as the meal has already commenced he doesn't wash them at the beginning which would be normal you walk through the door your feet would have been washed that would have been customary But he rises, think about this, he rises in the knowledge of the power and authority given to him by the Father. He rises in that knowledge. Jesus knew who he was and what he was. He knew who he was and what he was and what he was to be about. Paul writes this in Colossians to help us out. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things are held together or hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in that everything might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Think about that. He rises in the middle of the meal knowing what God has given to him, granted to him, the power and authority in that moment. 
It's something to contemplate. It's something to think about as we prepare ourselves to come to his table. That the one that was giving the meal would give of himself in that way and shadowing what would become. So Jesus rises from the table serving in vulnerability and humility. In our church world, or in our church community, in the business world, the idea of servant leadership has been one of those buzzwords that has been tossed about for years, for years. I find that there are a lot of servants in both places and spaces, truly, and that's good. But just as much as I've seen those people who are truly servant leaders, I also experience those people who are entitled and expect a perceived status and position by the way they live and what they expect out of others. In both places and spaces. It's the way we are. It's the way we're created. It's humanly. But Jesus himself, in these moments, he rises in all power and authority. Think about that. Mull that over. While my dad was nowhere near perfect by any stretch of the imagination, a small business owner who had at different times uh, throughout the year would have 30 to upwards to 60 employees that he could command to do what he wanted, if you will, if you take those words. But often not, we would find him in the midst of doing dirty work and, and really living out the long hours that... Uh, that he could have commanded others to do on his behalf. I, I just, I, I can't fathom this in some ways, but in other ways, I can. To be really honest, it was a point of contention with, much of, with the family much of the time because we knew he could have said, hey, Bill, we didn't have too many bills that worked for us, so that's safe. Hey, you're going to work the long hours. You're going to do this dirty job. In fact, on many occasions, if I were to find him, I mean, he was in the middle, of, he, he could have asked other people to do sandblasting jobs, which he would then be in the middle of. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff he would do. But this is what I learned from my dad, and I think that he, I don't know where he got it, but I know that Jesus emanates for us and demonstrates to us in this passage, is that you step into those spaces and places that other people would not or could do for you, but you choose to do because you do it on their behalf. And I think part of that, neither my brother or I struggle with rolling up our sleeves and starting something and completing something. Good or bad, I think that demonstration made an impression. And Jesus' demonstration should make an even greater impression on this. This is the point. Jesus rises from the table in the midst of the meal. Can you imagine that? He's the host. He rises in all of his power. He wraps a towel around his waist. He takes his garment off. It's, it's, in some ways, it's in a form of embarrassment. That's why I say it's almost humiliation in some ways. He steps into places and spaces that we go, oh, no, Jesus, no. Right? We'll get to it and kneels before the disciples, including Judas, and washed their dirty feet. Verse 6, when he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You will understand in the days ahead. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you. You have no part of me. 
Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I think Simon Peter responds as many of us would respond, even in that moment, not understanding completely. And I don't think we understand completely, even though we see more clearly today what Jesus has done for us. But we would have responded in the same way. He's been called from fishing to fishing to men and women by a rabbi who, was, who powerfully taught, gently healed, correctly rebuked, warmly welcomed all who, though, all who would choose to follow him and in reality intended for them, intended from them from the very origins of the beginning of time. Can you imagine? He saw all this. He knew the power demonstrated. And la- like last week, it was demonstrated inside of him. He's like, no, if, whoa, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Well, okay, if you're going to, let's do the whole thing. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. The whole, whole body is clean and you are clean, now, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. When he had finished washing his feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He said to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Can you, can you, with me, just kind of think of that question he asked them. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? What a question to ask. What a question to ask because it stays for all time. It just hangs there continuously. As long as we follow and love Jesus, it still hangs there. Do you understand? One part of us says, yeah. Well, there's this continual transformation and formation that says no. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We could easily ask the question, is Jesus simply asking us to wash one another's feet? Well, uncomfortable and for some people fairly intimate, it's just one duty, one way of washing it. I think maybe in some cases, yes. Right? He's asking us to step into the humility that allows for vulnerability to serve even while you're in the midst of doing what, well, you think you should have, that power and authority. He's asking us to step out. You see, very carefully, in this whole conversation about hospitality, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we can think that hospitality in and of itself is is a route to introducing our friends to Jesus and hosting Jesus at the same time. But this is the care and the carefulness that if we sat in a place like that, we could think that we have power and authority. There's a level of superiority or superiorness to us because of who we know and what we know. Yet Jesus, in this demonstration, shows he has all power and authority. And Judas is there amongst them has full agency of what he's going to do, I believe, and chooses. He exhorts them 
to love as he has and will love with our whole lives. And that means finding ourselves in a place of surrender and submission to him in those places of hospitality as we practice love in the way that he practiced love. The Anglican bishop Jeremy Taylor wrote this 350 years ago, and he chose to wash their feet rather than their head, that he might have the opportunity of a more humble posture, a more apt signification, signification of his charity. Thus God lays everything aside that he may serve his servants. Heaven stoops to earth, and one abyss calls upon another. And the, the miseries of humanity, which were next to infinite, are excelled by a mercy equal to the immensity of God. When Jesus asked this questions, question of his disciples, as they're sitting around having this Passover meal, do you understand what I have done for you? It seems like, as I said, we might have some understanding, well, the grand understanding of he give, grants forgiveness of sins because of the cross that was before him. And the empty grave gives us this life forever. But it's only a, the start of a long-term activation, act, activation of our hearts toward him and living for him. Jesus' identity fed his ability to respond in humility all the way through and with vulnerability. When we know who we are, right, his, the power and authority, the identity of God was placed on him and rightly to him, we are able to respond to Jesus and to his service, whether it's hospitality or in any other way, as Jesus would call us, with conviction. Paul tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And yet, many times we get these crossed. Right? We think it's about us, and it's all, always and always will be about Jesus. Jesus didn't struggle with this. What about you this morning? Do you struggle with knowing who you are so that you can live out the humility and vulnerability in the way that Jesus did? Rising from a place of power to shed all that in a moment to serve his own. I think, I think we, we gather on a regular basis to have these continual reminders, weekly in and week out, just as they were having at the Passover meal. They would have heard these words from Exodus 20, or very close to it. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. These would have been the words affirmed over and over again at the Passover meal, just as we on a weekly basis are affirmed that we're God's children and that he is our redeemer, our savior, our Lord, that he is the one that bent low for us, not us to him. So if we're taking cues from the culture of who and whose we are, we're messing with our identity of the way that God has made us, which is only found in him. I mean, this is what we see and I see in the center of what's happened here is that Jesus knew who he was and he lived to that clarity of who he was. While Jesus had clarity, there is great clarity in who we, 
and who we are when we know whose we are. I think that that's when we have clarity. That's when we are able to have people at our table and, and full hospitality with humility and vulnerability, without, this, without the potential of mixing our cues of thinking that we're actually in charge, that we are actually the ones leading the meal. But it's him, Jesus, who leads the meal. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may know in your head whose you are, but just as the disciples in this meal moment got it just a little skewed, we also need to reaffirm whose we are. I'm not sure about you. There are moments in my day, there are hours in my week, there are days in my month that I forget, not intentionally, but unintentionally, whose I am, who's really set the table for me, and who I am living for and with. Because I forget the truth. When battered by life, when anxiety, when worries, when contemplations of relationships come in, and I think, oh, and he says, whoa, wait a second, who's the host of the table? Who's invited you, literally and figuratively, to the table today? So how do we wrestle with our next steps when we struggle with, at times, our identity? I think it's as, well, it could be as simple or as easy as this. Our identity is equal to our time spent time. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to be in prayer. We need to meditate on God's word. And we can, as we move into this new season, commit to a small group who will continue to speak, oh, wait a second, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Where, who has bought you with a price who gives you your life, who allows you to live in his love and to give his love. How do we cultivate if Jesus was able to get up in the midst of the meal when he knew all power and authority was given to him and he didn't have to do that, but he did. How do we do that? Well, humility and vulnerability is, is cultivated through serve, through serving, right? We respond to someone's need in the moment and over a lifetime. We cultivate rhythms that remind us of who we are and what love we're to give, up, give out and give away. We live out love that way. Lastly, I think one of the ways that we're able to set the table as Jesus set the table is we give ourselves space and time, which is not up there in the slide. It's one of the things we margin ourselves out of. Space for him to work in the moment. To allow him to step in and say, ah, oh, this, is, this is the right moment, this is the right time. Oh, not for me. Yeah, not for you. So Barbara and I met on Friday. It was later afternoon on Friday. And as we walked through, 
some membership material, uh, I simply asked her, so have you ever been baptized before? No. Would you like to be baptized? Yes. Now, in our, in our everyday weeks, we don't often try to squeeze something in, or what I would think is squeezing something in. But when she said yes, there was something inside of me that said, oh, we have to do this now, in the moment, not wait. And we do. If that helps you with an illustration, that is really, it's kind of like, oh, no, 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 we're going to make space in this because this is the right thing. It's the right place. It's the Lord's leading. This is a culmination of so many things. And the table had been set. Can I tell you that? Through prayer, through anticipation, through expectation, and Lord's divine leading. It's a beautiful place. So space, time for others. So as you consider and think about setting the table, literally, as we talk about the blessed book tonight, and I hope you'll join us, some of you have been given some grand ideas from the Lord. I believe it. Some of you have some like, now I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to create a rhythm so this is opportunity, or I'm going to do this now or I'm already doing this, let me tell somebody about it. We have to give space to it. I'm I'm looking forward to that time. I hope you join us for that time. But as you set the table, remember that we have to know whose we are. We have to know our identity. And we have to see that Jesus lived and loved in humility and vulnerability. He served those who did not love him. He served them, and he serves them today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for the grand, grand demonstration of your love for us. As Father Jesus said around that Passover meal with his disciples, eating a meal, discussing and reminding them of the truth that they we're your children. I am your God, for I bought you and brought you out of slavery. But then reminded them of a God who loves so intimately, so individually, that he rises in all power. Father, we're, we're blown. We're unnerved, just like Simon Peter. Oh, Lord, no. Lord, help us to put our identity in you. Help us to rest in you that we may serve with humility and vulnerability. Allowing people into the spaces and places of our heart and our life where we wouldn't normally allow them in. Because it's not done yet. It's not safe yet. But as you illustrated, it's through your son, it's inviting them into that place of vulnerability and humility is where the work is done.
where it is completed as we give space to you. So, Father, may we do that. May we do that. By the power, the presence of your Holy Spirit, fresh and anew in us. Amen.